0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show episode number 90. This week we talked with James Whitaker about career superpowers, the death of ASP.NET 5, and are we finally getting a good iPhone keyboard from Microsoft? This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by infragistics Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com This week we have James Whitaker. He's a distinguished technical evangelist, storyteller, and in his own words, he's just James. Uh so we're gonna get to his interview in just a little bit. We basically we pre-recorded it just before recording this. So I'm just gonna insert that in so he's not gonna stay around for all of the news. Uh so we'll just uh we'll just move on here and come back to him. So, uh, so Carl, what's going on? Yeah, we finally got around to finalizing the swag bag giveaway rules, um,
1: kind of important since we want to give that away on episode 100. Mm-hmm. It's episode 90 right now. So you've got essentially 10 weeks, give or take, roughly, to send to us via any method that we take, input, social media, um, a video or audio of you, and uh, we're, we're not going to limit this in anything, but... The message that you have uh, has got to be uh, get our attention in some way to select you. Mm-hmm. And um, at episode 100, we're also going to play your submission as part of the podcast. So just be aware that um, if this is something you don't want uh,
0: all of our listeners to hear, don't send it to us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, we would love to hear, I don't know, something insightful. Um, maybe if you have a good question for us that really makes us think, um, you know, just anything like that, whatever, whatever gets our attention and, uh, and just sounds cool. And well, like I said, we'll play it on the show. And, uh, and just, and, and just as a reminder for people who uh,
1: haven't listened to all of our episodes, this swag bag is going to include a backpack, uh, some electronics of sorts, and some MS show branded uh, apparel and merchandise. So, yeah. um, it's actually full of really cool stuff. In fact, part of the reason why we're making some of this stuff is so we can have some of it too. So <laughs> yeah, you're we're excited get, about it.
0: Yeah. You get like one, one of each of the things that we want. <laughs> that's how, that's how the show works. Okay. So who is the infragistics ultimate winner of the week? This week we got an email from David Maltby at the last and, minute, by the way.
1: Yeah, it you was actually, yeah. It was, I got it about noon and we recorded at like two 30. So, uh, cutting it close. He said, Carl and Jason, starting last November, he got back into a regular, uh, daily cardio routine with a long walk and, uh, riding. And, uh, he needed some podcasts to listen to while he, uh, walked or rode. And we have made the cut along with a bunch of other podcasts. He likes our enthusiasm and pragmatism about developing and it pumps him up every episode. Um, he also had a question. He has a Windows phone, a 640XL, but the uh, included podcast app, um, I'm using my words, sucks. Um, he has a hard time finding certain other podcasts and adding them like our friends at codingblocks.net.
0: And he wanted to know what's a better podcatcher for Windows phone. Um, well, so and- first, first, maybe I should I, – have we explained that on the show why it sucks? We have, but it's been a while. Okay. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for this, but (laughs) here's what, here's how this works. The podcast app, um, they, it used to be like an internal directory. So you'd get your podcast added. You just email like the right person and they would add you to the list and then you could search for it and you'd find it, uh, which in, in reality, in practice was a good system, in in sort of theoretical terms, it was kind of a crappy system because it's just kind of silly to have to email somebody. So what Don't they switch did switch that to something that's theoretically good, <laughs> practically theoretically sucks. good, but practically uh, bad. Well, it, bad in in some cases, uh, some unfortunate yeah. cases, including ours. So so what happened is they basically they they use a a specific Bing search. So whatever you search for, they search Bing for that, but they check for they they search for RSS feeds. And the issue is just getting you know enough Bing juice with a with an RSS feed, um, so it's just you know sort of like half Bing's fault and half that the the fault of the app itself. Uh, I don't know what the current state of that is. I don't know if it's any better in Windows. No, 10. I've
1: I've heard some other podcasters who are running across similar things with new podcasts. So it's definitely still is an issue. Yeah. Um. One that hopefully after you have a, a little bit of a backlog, you know, it corrects itself. Yeah. But it, it still sucks when you when you're first getting going, and after five six episodes, you can't still can't find your podcast. Yeah. In your favorite app.
0: Yeah. So uh, those those will eventually show up theoretically. I mean, the biggest thing is to get an, is to get some backlinks and. There and sort of build up some reputation, and then uh, and then hopefully you'll show up in that index, and then you'll show up in that search.
1: So my recommendation, and this is can be one that's across all platforms. It's on iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. Is Pocket Casts, and what's really cool about this one is it cloud syncs if you make an account all of your podcasts that you're listening to, that you're subscribed to, to the cloud, including like uh, your play state. So if you listen to 32 minutes in, uh, when you jump on another device, um, it'll pick up there. And then, you know, Jason and I had a little bit of conversation about this and he mentioned to me, not everybody has as many phones as you, Carl, but <laughs> you know, a lot of people, you know, they might have a windows, a desktop an Android tablet and an iPhone. Yeah. And I think that's still, you know, a practical solution to, you know, you might listen on any one of those devices and you might not be at all of those devices at any given time. So check out pocket cast. It's really good on windows phone.
0: Cool. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, you know, like whenever I go for a walk or if I go for a run um, I could get probably, I could get like a secondary phone that's kind of smaller. They would always be on the Wi-Fi, and then it would, it would sync with that. So yeah, you might buy, Um, An Android phone, just because it costs less money, as an example, or or a Windows phone, like a, um, uh, what is it, like the 635, or I think he mentioned the 640, I think is pretty inexpensive as well. So uh, good thinking. Yeah.
1: And if you want to get mentioned on the show and win the Infragistics Ultimate License like David did, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook,
0: iTunes, or Stitcher. Those five-star iTunes reviews really make us happy. Yes, very happy. Uh, okay, so let's jump into the news. So what do we got here? The first one, how I ended up paying $150 for a single 60 gigabyte download from Amazon Glacier. Ouch. So this is where
1: reading your terms of service really
0: pays. So Amazon Glacier is
1: really meant for like- It, it, it never pays, Carl. It, it, for <laughs> cold store. Well, it never pays, but until it, <laughs> here. Well, essentially, Amazon Glacier is a service where you can just pump data in, mm-hmm. you know, kind of- all at once and kind of just let it sit there for archival purposes. And one of the things that this guy did, uh, it was written by Marco. I'm not going to do his last name, but anyways, Marco had like archived his CD collection, all of his music. They're about 150 CDs. And it came to like 63 gigs or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he thought like, Hey, Glacier sounds perfect. I just want to put this. And like, if I hit some catastrophic event, then I want it out. Or if I want to re-encode them to get like a higher, you know, bit rate, more quality, you know, I can do that all later. So he put them all in there and like just paid like cents a year. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, it was not much. And then what he decided to do is he wanted it. He had an event where he wanted to pull it all out and ended up getting hit with this massive
0: $150 fee. So, so before we get too further, I, I, I think what, what they do, what the I, I don't know if they've actually confirmed this, but what everybody believes is that Amazon is using tape for this. So it sort of gives you an idea of like how they get the cost down so much. So they're literally like writing this to a tape. And if you're writing something, it's obviously easy to grab a blank tape. You know, it's, an, it's obviously an automated system, but it grabs a blank tape, writes it to it, and catalogs it. Okay, continue. All right, so as part of the service thing that he didn't
1: read is you're only allowed to access or download 5% of that every month. And he went ahead and did it all at once, which increased the fee that he had to pay. So understanding what you're using when you're using a cloud service really does pay. Maybe not the terms of service, but you know, make sure if you're using something that it really does fit what you're going to be using.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, I mean the reason I wanted to mention it was tape is cuz I I think the reason that they they make it so crazy to retrieve it is because they literally like have to like take that thing out of a catalog. And again, I think it's automated, but it's like a robotic arm has to load it up. And the API is kind of goofy because you can't just say like, give me these bytes right now. You have to sort of queue it up and then on its own time, it, it gives them back to you. Um, but yeah, ouch. <laughs> and what's crazy is there's so many different services. I mean, I know OneDrive now isn't, you know, unlimited. Uh, it's virtually unlimited for most people cause it's, you know, you still get a terabyte. um, I actually it's kind of funny because I end up spending a fortune because I actually use like every cloud provider uh Dropbox uh uh OneDrive and um the Amazon cloud drive but uh in any case like you yeah you probably have enough free storage here or the, I think the other lesson here is to just pick the right tool for the job so you know there's also like Backblaze or something like that that will back up everything for you really cheap and then you won't run into this kind of issue Uh okay what do we got next here uh, oh, this one. Microsoft is bringing its Wordflow keyboard to iOS. So this I'm really excited for because iOS has the worst
1: keyboard, in my opinion, out of all three. Yep. and And, you know, every part of it is like the worst part. It's not just like it's the worst as a whole, but every single part of it is the worst out of all three. So even if, this solves because uh, it's it's not out to everybody yet. If this solves even one of those issues, I would say it's enough to to switch to this keyboard for. Um, I, you know, iOS has the had the uh, abilities to change keyboards for a few versions now, and some of the keyboards have been all right, but none of them have really stood out. And you know, some of them are just plain buggy. And yeah. if Microsoft can nail it as well as they've done with their Uh, own keyboard on its own platform. Um, I say this is a huge win for iOS users. So I'm going
0: to save you a whole bunch of hate mail there, Carl. (laughs) So, um, There's probably listeners that have only used the iPhone keyboard and like, no, 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 it's, it's good. It's good. I was one of those people years ago. I, you know, I had used like a Palm Pre before that. So I use a hardware keyboard, but the first soft key, you know, the screen keyboard I use was the iPhone keyboard. And I thought there was nothing wrong with it. And then I switched over to Windows phone. And, and what was interesting is it didn't seem any better to me. But then, whenever I tried to go back to the iOS keyboard, I realized like it was kind of like going from SD to HD. Um, it's kind of a bad analogy because whenever you go to HD, like you sort of see the difference. But it's 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 a good analogy, and is in the fact that whenever you try to go back to standard definition, like that's when you realize like how bad the picture was. You know, if you go back and watch like an old VHS tape, uh, you'll see how bad it was. So that's that's why when we say that the iOS keyboard is terrible, it's because it relative to these other options. It is terrible. So anyway, um getting past that whole thing. So you don't get any, any hate mail. So I actually, I don't know how much I'm, I'm supposed to say about this. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little careful here, but I have this, uh, this word flow, uh, keyboard on my, my iPhone. It's not publicly available yet, but I have, I have a copy of it and, um, it's really, really, really good. Uh, it's just, it's just it's really good. <laughs> um, just every, everything about it is great. Um, I don't know how much more I want to say about it. I guess the only like, sort of hint I'll give you is it's also great for, for one-handed use. You know, so if you're pulling your luggage and you're trying to uh, use it one-handed, um, it's really good for that. And you kind of have to wait and see what I'm talking about there because I just don't want to say anything I'm not supposed to say.
1: Well, I, I know Windows 10 uh, modified the keyboard to include much better one-handed use. So I'm assuming that uh, people are used to Windows 10. Uh phone keyboards
0: uh can expect a similar experience yeah uh, the next one, Node.js with Chakra. So this, um, I I don't know how familiar you are with this, Carl, but basically, you know, Node.js uses the um, the Google Chrome the V8 engine as the as the backing engine for it, uh, and it's really the only option I know. I think io.js was was sort of forking that and doing something different with it. I I don't know all the details there, but this here is taking the the Chakra engine, which is basically the the IE engine, which is actually good. You know, even if you don't like IE. Um, that doesn't mean that it has a bad engine. The engine is actually really good. Um, there's basically a shim on top of that engine, and it it allows allows it to, you know, has a, um, a surface area of the V8 engine, so it has the same, like, API surface. So basically what this means is you can run Node.js with a Chakra backend instead. And some there, there's a couple reasons why this is interesting. First is, like, just having two different choices there drives uh, them to, to make that API a little bit more uniform. It makes it easy. If, if for some reason somebody else wanted to come out with a third party engine and, you know, a V8 started lagging behind. Uh, but you know, I don't know as a, as a node JS developer, that part isn't too exciting to me. Uh, but I think what I think is cooler about this is just being able to, um, you know, like in a, in a UWP app, be able to run uh node JS on top of that. Um, because it's able to, you know, basically run Node.js on top of that Chakra engine, which is, you know, essentially running like a browser engine. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, and then there's some, there's also some benchmarks in here too, showing how, you know, hey, this is, this is faster. Uh, looking at the bar charts, I mean, it's clearly like, you know, quite a bit faster. I know they're saying, ten to thirty percent better performance. I don't know if you'll notice that. Um, it it kind of depends what you're doing. You'd have to really push it, I think, to notice that. But Faster is always better. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and then the last one here, ASP.NET 5 is dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should probably say more. I uh, Introducing ASP.NET uh, Core 1.0 and .NET Core 1.0. So they're basically renaming these and, you know, uh, some people are losing their minds over this, um, which you know I don't know. I'm sure people have good reasons, and other people are like, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever." Um, uh, yeah, I guess I don't really have a big opinion on it. Um, I mean, it looks like they, they 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 did a ton of thinking on this, and based on the information they had at hand, it it made sense to do this. Um, so it's basically trying to make this, you know, make help people understand that this thing is not. Um, it's not like ASP.net four plus one. Uh, this is like a new thing. Um, I don't know if you want to, if you wanted to say anything about the name, Carl, I want to talk about benchmarks next though.
1: No, I mean with, with the naming, I mean, it it helps in certain areas. I mean, it it is a new product that helps to differentiate that. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting to find out if they would have renamed anything else in that stack. Yeah. So, um, like I said, it makes sense to mm-hmm. call a new product something new and start at 1.0.
0: Um, but, yeah, let's get into
1: some of these uh, statistics.
0: I wish it was easier to say than – or as easy to say as, like, Node.js. You know, it's just so easy. Uh, but anyway, that's okay. Um, yeah, so statistics here. So they they basically – in one of the, the community calls – um, the ASP.net team, they, they were showing, or the ASP, sorry, the ASP.net core team was showing some benchmarks on, uh, they had kind of a high end server there. I can't remember. It was like 12 cores or something. Or maybe it was, uh, I think it was a hexa core machine, but it had, uh, you know, hyper threading. So it was, um, uh, 12 logical cores essentially. So they showed they were, they actually had a 10 gig network card in this, and they were able to push nine gigabits per second uh, through the, through this one experimental web server and they were serving 8 million requests per second and they were at 50% uh, CPU usage. So, you know, the thing is blazing fast. And, and the reality is, I mean, those are awesome numbers and it's great that they're starting at that point. Um, you know, they're, they're doing a ton of work around just like pushing this thing to the extreme. And I think that's important. Uh, and, and I'm going to bring up something that I probably sound like a broken record. Cause I say this all the time, you know, if you're doing asynchronous programming, Using something like this, you know, if you're doing async await everywhere and you're doing it properly, um, you will see insane performance. And I always talk about how Node.js is fast because it's async. Um, and this is as well, if you if you don't intentionally do something to make it synchronous and slow it down, uh, this should be blazing fast. And what I think what's going to be really interesting to see is like in some real applications. And by real, I mean, you know, they're going to be simple enough that, that you can basically write the same thing in Node.js and on, on on ASP.net core. Um I suspect you're going to be able to, you know, have some tests that show that this thing can can be significantly faster than Node.js. So let's go now to our pre-recorded interview with James Whitaker. I also wanted to warn you in advance there is some swearing in this episode. There was a news story in here. Actually, we call it a news story, but this was actually from 2007, so there's nothing newsy about it. Um, I, have you seen this one, James? So this is on the Dilbert blog. So this is by Scott Adams, and it was entitled Career Advice. Did you see this? I did, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if you had, you seen this prior to the show? Uh,
2: no, not not prior to you, it. Okay,
0: because yeah. this really lines up with a lot of the stuff that I've read from you. So... The point that he makes in here, he's like there's there's a couple different ways uh, to be successful in your career. One of them is to be the best at one specific thing and he basically says that that's impossible. You know, there's there's pretty much going to be one person that's the best at anything. You know, there's rock stars and celebrities and things like that. And then there's sort of this uh this back door in which is be very good uh in the top 25% at two things. And he he recommended um he said I always advise young people to become good public speakers. So being the top 25% of public speakers, um, anyone can do it with practice. If you add that talent to any other, suddenly you're the boss of the people who only have one skill um, or only get a degree in business or, or get a degree in business on top of your engineering degree, degree, law degree, medical. So he's saying, you know, be in the top 25% in, in two different things.
2: Look, he made his living off of one thing and that is yeah. <laughs> uh, writing the comics. So, so I, I think yeah. that, you know, he's got a problem of credibility there. Yeah. Uh, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I think that you know, specializing in something, you don't have to be the very best at anything. That's just right. too high a bar. That means if you can't be as good as Jimmy Page, don't pick up a guitar. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> and th- there are plenty of guitar players in the top 10, 20, even 30% who make a really good living and have a really good time uh, mm-hmm. doing what they do. So don't listen to somebody who draws cartoons for a living. Uh, unless... That's the career you're going for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to have a career in an industry, you know, look to advice for people who are successful in that industry. Yeah. And uh, he's not that. So I think specialization is really important. In fact, I, I have a course I call career superpowers or nine superpowers and specializing is, is one of them. The, the point is not, and, and I think getting a, uh, an MBA on top of anything is largely a waste of time mm-hmm. um, and, and a distraction from, from doing something much more impactful. So the idea behind specialization is to get really good at something that really matters. You don't have to be the best. And it doesn't have to matter the most, but it has to be something that matters. My specialty in the 90s of software testing took me a long way. My specialty in the 2000s in security took me a long way. And now my specialty in storytelling in the 2010s is taking me a long way. So you've got to pick something that's really impactful that you can master and get really, really good at it. And if you're trying to be the best, just stop it's silly.
0: Yeah. Well, of course. I mean that I, like you said, that's an insanely, insanely high bar. <laughs> Okay. Well, cool. So I wanted to get your feedback on that. And then, and then we wanted to jump into a whole bunch of questions. So you, you know, you have a wide variety of writings out there and and some really good information and, you know, you even have some crazy stuff out there. I call it crazy. Uh, you know, crazy is oh, that one good. One? good. <laughs> but you have like ode to the F word and you ode have to things. the F word, how to be fucking <laughs> yeah.
2: awesome. Just suck less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Stuff. No, those are, those are, those are great. And I love, I just, it, it's, it's great. Cause it, it just, it gets your attention. And it just, it really forces you out of your comfort zone. So I I love reading that stuff. Uh, So I guess the first thing we should talk about is what you do for Microsoft. Well,
2: for Microsoft, I, uh, well, I used to lead a a bunch of developers and then Microsoft discovered my ability to entertain an audience. And so I've been doing a lot of messaging Uh, for a year. I did messaging around our developer platforms uh, Then I did a year of messaging around uh, mostly to marketing. That was kind of cool being at Mm -hmm. developer conferences and being discovered by people who ran marketing conferences and wanting an engineer to, to come and give a keynote. So I did that for a year. And now I'm focused internally. Uh, I'm giving this talk called The Growth Mindset at Microsoft that explains a lot of things that, you know, our CEO and our, our, our EVPs say about growth mindset and, and, and culture change and, and, you know, all these things about one Microsoft and mobile first, cloud first. I, I took a good, solid look at that as an engineer and built it into a story and so now i'm going around telling that story to uh at, at all hands uh, at microsoft and, and at various microsoft offices and it's a blast
1: cool so you had mentioned that during the 90s you were an in like an, an evangelist of testing and testing strategies yeah, more so- than
2: evangelist i was a software tester you know to the gills that's what i did for a good solid decade and and I, It was the right decade to do software testing. You know, back when we shipped software on on CDs and and floppy disks, you know, the the value of bugs was just really, really high. And so that's what I'm talking about, doing something impactful. Software testing in the 90s was impactful.
0: Okay. I'm curious. So just to to dive into that a little bit. So it's... Is it less important today, or like kind of what, what makes it not important get at all
2: today? Uh, it, it, it started becoming less important in, when the web came out, right? When mm-hmm. when the idea that you can you can ship software, get early feedback from early adopters, and, and they find all your bugs for you, right? Instead <laughs> of having instead of paying ten users to act like I'm sorry, ten testers to act like users you could get a thousand users who are really good at acting like users and finding a bunch of bugs and <laughs> they don't just play one on TV. They don't just play one on TV. And so it was, to me, it was like, why are we still paying testers? When, when, if we're, if we include the user in our development process, we can actually get that feedback a lot earlier. And it just seemed, I mean, I, I literally saw my specialty of software testing fly out the window. Yeah, and, and so, you know, that's part of the, go back to the Dilbert, um, uh, my, my calling bullshit on that, that's part of it, is you gotta pick something impactful to be good at, and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden after the web came out in 2000, it wasn't impactful anymore, and so, so I switched to
0: security. Oh, that's very interesting. Very interesting. So there, so with that, I mean, specifically talking about testing, then there there has to be like a good way then for your users to obviously communicate that back, or you have to have the right. Oh man, getting users get involved. Right well, feedback. It's,
2: in. it's so easy now. Like I love what Xbox yeah. did. Xbox won a Guinness Book of World Record for the most responsive brand by getting their you know using Twitter and using Instagram and using Facebook to get their users involved really really early and helping to identify who their power users were and who were the really passionate users and and mm-hmm. you know feed them early stuff, getting bug fixes, you know, the turnaround for bug. And how, how do you win the, the most responsive brand, Guinness Book of World Records? Your turnaround on bugs is really, really fast. And, yeah. and this isn't their testing organization that's doing this. This is their, you know, it, what really is what, what a lot of places at Microsoft are doing is they're putting test and development to a blender and just mixing it up until the two are indistinguishable from each other. And that's mm-hmm. how to do testing, make it invisible yeah make it just part of the process developers i always I, I piss testers off when i say this but i i like to tell <laughs> testers that you all are a self-fulfilling prophecy the more testers you put on a project the more you're going to need right yeah. the, the minute the tester appears the developer's like oh great i got somebody to, i got somebody got my back right and without yeah. somebody having their back they do a better job man it's human nature
0: oh that's a really interesting observation
2: yeah it's uh, correct that's no, just
0: yeah. interesting <laughs> Carl, i got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics.
1: Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls that help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so You can show this to the stakeholders and, you know, sell your ideas.
0: Yeah. What I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big. Plus,
1: if we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week and if you can't wait, they have free demos, so you can try it out for a month, download the demos, and try it today.
0: Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show you, um, in one of your posts, you had brought up a good point about being useful to your industry. And I had actually heard it from somebody else. And then, and then, uh, and then I went and I, I kind of looked it up and, and you had pointed me to the right post and everything. And I, I find that one really fascinating. And I've, I probably thought about that more than anything else that you've ever said. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always kind of thinking like it, it, it's, it's just, it's so, prof- it's so simple, but it's so profound because, you know, the, 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 you know, no job is like guaranteed. Right. And if you, if you marry yourself to one particular company, like, you know, I, I'm all, I'm all for like working hard for a company and doing a good job, but, but really it, it should, if you are working hard for your industry and making yourself valuable to the industry, like those, those things go hand in hand. Right. Absolutely. I mean, do you wanna, yeah. Do you just kind of want to describe like what, well, know, this what came, your, this came about from debunking some other bad advice from somebody more
2: famous than me, Jack Welch, yeah. who yeah. Uh, was telling people, you know, uh, uh, you know, impress your boss and be valuable to your company. Yeah. Two, <laughs> both, both of those are stupid.
0: Even from my perspective, I, I, that is just unbelievably stupid. Jack
2: Welch was, was his better days are in the nineties. I mean, he was amazing yeah. in the nineties, but, but if you hadn't noticed, shit has changed. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, he's not paying attention anymore. Um, but you know, being valuable to your company, look, look at, take Microsoft, for example. You know, the Mm -hmm. best way to be valuable to to Microsoft in the 2000s was to really learn Visual Studio inside and out and and, and TFS and and really just kill those tools and learn C Sharp. And and does that make you more valuable or just you more valuable to your company? Um, Mm You know, now all of a sudden, Microsoft's embracing open source, and we're looking around trying to find talent in open source. And we've got all these people who marry themselves to Microsoft technology. And we're like, "Hey, guys, <laughs> yeah." And so the yeah, people who just don't, the just who don't get the other me, culture, people who yeah. listen to me and, and develop the broader uh, industry purview, are, are are making bang now at Microsoft because their, their skills are more in demand. And, and so I think it's this general idea of paying attention to your industry understanding its ebb and flows, being being good at predicting where it's going, you, you'll get good at figuring out what you need to get good at. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the, your industry is more important than your company. Um, mentors are more important than the person you report to. And, and this is just, you know, general advice that I give in my career class that I teach here at Microsoft.
0: Yeah, and, and some some advice that I've always given, and, and you can tell me if I'm full of crap, but you know, I always and I will if you are. <laughs> I, I know you will, so I know I can get an honest opinion here. But I always thought like what what my boss thought that they expected of me wasn't it wasn't that important. I, I always looked at it and I was like, okay, well that's great, but I'm more interested in what what you think is important for, for your job, you know, because in, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, like your job is to make your boss look good. And, and I, I agree with that somewhat, I um, but I, I thought, I thought it was more important to, um, you know, to understand what they were trying to accomplish and, and work toward that. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
2: So. Look, your boss, there's one career your boss values above all others. <laughs> and on. it's not yours, right?
0: Right. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so so you, you gotta understand that this is relationship. You have an employment contract with your company. Mm-hmm. This is the, you know, you're not required to love them. You're not required to, to, to be in service to your boss. What you're required to do is contribute it's a value proposition, right? You have mm-hmm. to contribute or you'll no longer be employed. And then at the same time, you have to work for yourself too. You have to grow. Uh, and and learn so that eventually you're going to be qualified for, um, for for other roles. And so you know, people who don't look out for themselves are, are really a little bit silly. You ever heard, a, You ever did a job interview and the boss was like, "Ah, oh, man, you're you're perfect for this role. We've been looking for you, and and ah, oh, we just we can't wait to get you on the team." And you know, all that stuff feels really good, but it's smoke and mirrors. Your boss has got a job that encompasses a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of products and 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 they want you to play a
0: role. Yeah, you're solving a problem for that. Yeah, you got to
2: understand that you are you're a cog in, in the process and you got to go into that with an open mind and make sure that your product team and your company get value but also that you get value too. If all all the work you do accrues to your boss and to your product team and to your company what's left for you?
0: Oh, absolutely!
2: Angst and and that intersection of overworked and underappreciated, which no one ever wants to go to.
0: Right. No, great points.
1: So, looking at like how you f- you you take that and f- find out how you can be useful to your company. How did you kind of turn that into changing your role into being a good presenter?
2: Well, I mean, I realized at an early age, in fact, I tell this story in my storytelling class about how I uh, won a debate when I was in the 11th grade against somebody who actually studied debate and was a lot smarter than me. And and I won because of my storytelling ability and my stage presence. And so this has kind of followed me along my career, understanding that um, just because you have a great idea doesn't mean... Somebody else will think it's a great idea. You've got to be able to sell it. You've got to be able to wrap it in a good story. You've got to be able to get that value proposition inside their head. And, and to me, every, everywhere I went, it was always people who were good at telling the story that, that got their ideas in front of the right people and, and, and got their ideas implemented. And so, so I've always been really important. Uh, it's always been really important to me. And as I looked around, I saw the same thing happened at Google. I saw Google tell, telling a lousy story, and I stepped up, and and all of a sudden I became the keynote at Google Dev Days, and and you know got to fly around in the world on somebody else's dime. And the same thing at Microsoft, I saw us kind of telling a clumsy story, and I thought Microsoft's story is so freaking good. Why is it that we don't have people salivating to to work here and to work for us? And 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 so I consciously went about finding better storytellers in myself, you know, the, the Amanda Palmers and Michelle Dickinson's and, and Martin Luther King's and uh, Winston Churchill's of the world and, and picking apart what they were doing and how they were doing it and making myself better. Every single talk I went out, I was a little bit more compelling and a little bit better until I realized, hey, I just won 19 best presentation awards in a row. Something's going on here. I wonder if it's teachable. Yeah. And, and so I challenged myself to start teaching it. And a and funny thing is, when I started teaching the art of stage presence, I got even better uh, because there's no better way of improving your ability than to try to teach it to somebody
0: else. Yeah. It is interesting, too, when you're presenting presenting.
2: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It's a challenge. I mean, you, yeah. you, you got to be you got to be pretty uh, confident in your skills if you're going to teach the art of stage presence. Uh, yeah. But I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of public speaking classes from people who are not very good public speakers. Uh, my class isn't like that. And, and so, um, uh, it, and, and people walk away with, with new skills uh, when they take it. And, and that's good because it's really important. There's enough boredom in this world. Uh, we don't need it in our conference rooms, and we certainly don't need it in our schools. Um, I've begun to teach it to teachers in the Washington area, uh, trying to get them to up their game, because it's frustrating that kids go to school and learn that learning is boring. I think that's a, a really bad
0: thing. Absolutely. And
1: so I, I noticed that there's this story on on you at uh, the Microsoft site site, um, kind of titled "How to Change the Way People Think in Four Easy Steps." And other than the fact that there are actually five steps, how how many of those <laughs> are do you like teach in your class?
2: Yeah, the five. I don't know where they got four from, but uh, well,
1: they have one point five.
2: Yeah, that's true. They they snuck one in there. They're, so they're 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 new. Um, I. I so the stage presence is made of five things. It's a uh, proper preparation, a very strong start. You've got to pull them in right from the beginning, uh, having something to say, which means really understanding that concept.
0: Yeah. So the first point, by the way, you sort of ruined me now. Because anytime I go see a presentation, after the first thirty seconds, I you know I, I sort of see everybody paying attention for thirty seconds, and then I look around, like I'm just like, oh, here comes the the James Whitaker thirty second mark,
2: yeah, and, and sure enough,
0: like everybody starts looking down, and I'm like, oh,
2: yeah, I oh my, tell my people, God. look, you you know they've got screens in their hand, and and yeah. in those phones are naked people.
0: You gotta be <laughs>
2: you gotta be better than the naked people in their phones if you want to keep their, <laughs> their <laughs> attention. That and so awesome. then you know having uh, saying it well and sticking the landing are the, the last two of yeah. five, and that's basically what the, the course covers. And it's, it's expanded to four hours now, and I'm, I'm actually barely fitting it into into four hours. Uh, it, it, it's it's really kind of fun to it's a it's a, almost a neuroscience game to me now to figure out how I can get my message into people's head and get them inspired without them even really consciously understanding what I'm doing to their to their neural receptors. It's a
0: blast. Yeah. No, I mean I have first first hand experience. I know that it's just it's just amazing seeing a good presentation and and um, yeah, there's a, there's a big gap there between what what uh, yeah, it is. It's amazing. Why
2: wouldn't why wouldn't everybody want to be good at that?
0: I know, and I I want to be good at it, and it's it's one of those things where keep it's coming like,
2: to my classes, man. We'll get you there. We'll get you there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so I'm kind of curious. Can you make a good presentation of a boring topic, you know, if Satya – or even, like, bad news. So if Satya said, hey, we're going to double everybody's hours and cut everybody's pay, you know, like, could you, like, present that in a way where I'd leave there and be like, yeah, that's – well, I, I don't love not know. This. I
2: don't know about that one, but he did ask <laughs> me to do something with growth mindset, um, the, the SLT. You know, they said, all right, this is yeah. really important. And, and it is kind of – if you've ever heard anybody else talk about it, it's a little bit boring. It's not boring when I talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I've got my whole creative routine. I go through with that challenge and, and I think I built a, I mean, the first time I gave it, I got a standing ovation and, and talk about feeling good, man. There's nothing better than
0: that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. A lot of your writing also tends to be on career advice as well. What kind of advice do you have for us to just get the most out of whatever we decide to do?
2: Well, I mean, so the, the, that's the worst career advice ever is, uh, you know, just do what you love. Which is kind of stupid because, you know, I kind of have a fondness for, for bong hits and Monty Python. <laughs> uh, and, and I can't find anybody to get me to pay for that, to, to pay me oh, for man. that. So, so you got to find passion within what you're doing. Like when in software testing, there's a whole bunch of parts of software testing that are just boring as hell. Uh, and so I focused in on, and I think this is good advice for anybody, focus in on your day job and figure out, slice it into pieces of which piece do you enjoy the most. And try to work to a point where you're doing more of the enjoyable pieces and start delegating less of the of the onerous pieces. And the example I like to give in software testing is I hated writing test plans. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with the process of a ten minute test plan and it was actually kind of a joke that, you know, you can't really do a test plan in ten minutes, but after ten minutes I'm bored bored. Shitless. So um and so, so sure enough, we came up with a process for, for building a test plan in 10 minutes, and it kind of went viral. I, you know, that How Google Tests Software book, that's sort of the the gem of that entire book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, you just kind of just start slowly shedding the pieces that you don't like. I think that's the secret to a happy career, is is focusing on the stuff that you like the most and, and learning how to shed the stuff that you like the least.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and so that's a kind of the cornerstone of my career superpowers process helping people figure out what they're passionate about or what, what they're passionate, you know, the work, where, 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 what you're passionate about and what you get paid for overlap the most. It's yeah. Quite an art.
0: Absolutely. So you make, you make all of this seem easy and you pretty much make everything seem easy. So, you know, can it be, can it be this easy for everyone or, or do you have to work at work hard to make it look easy?
2: Well, it's hard I mean some of the superpowers like learning, learning is hard work. I've I made yeah. learning as easy as I can. I've done the brain science on it and boiled it down into into five, five techniques people can can do to become a super learner. Um, and, and so but still, you know there's, there's some, some hard work in there. Uh, but I think if you make it fun, it, it seems like it's easy. Uh, and, and so I think that's what I do. I mask hard work behind uh, uh, a good time. And I think a career should be a good time. You know, it's like roughly a third of your life doing it. And, and really, it's more than that now because I don't think there's a such thing as work-life balance. I think what we've really done is we've blended work and life. Uh, I work on the weekends. I have my email uh, yep. and, and work comes at me uh, 24-7. And, and so if you're going to spend that much time doing it, don't let it suck.
0: Yeah, I have brought up that point about work-life balance before because this whole, I don't know if you've seen this Delve Analytics, we announced that and it it basically gives you like all these stats on like, you know, if you're working outside of work, quote unquote, work hours and things like that. And I, I asked people and it's funny because I get a different answer from everybody. I said, is it is it good or bad that I'm working on the weekend? You know, cause I would, I would argue this good because maybe I shifted work from a different time. So that, I would argue you know, I that it's go to normal. The...
2: I don't yeah. have anybody who, if, I mean, unless you have one of those nine to five jobs from last century, uh, <laughs> th- th- there's no such thing as not working on weekends and not taking your laptop on, on yeah. vacation. And there's also, you know, the, a such thing of doing personal things when you're at work, it's a, it's a trade-off, you know, if, if my boss walked in and and caught me paying bills or, or you know, registering my my kids for some online. He wouldn't care. Yeah, <laughs> you know, work is part of life and life is part of work, and yep. that's the nature of the
1: business. Exactly. So. Jason has told me a
0: few stories about you. Uh, I don't know how many Were they we have good time stories? for the air. because if
2: he's had my storytelling class, they better damn well be. It's
0: not I, I actually haven't I haven't been in that one, but I've I've been to two of your your presentations. You did one just for our group and then you did one uh for for a little bit of a wider audience. HR was in the room for one of them. <laughs>
1: Well, well, anyways, Jason was telling me that if he were as edgy as you, he'd probably get fired. so <laughs> w- what's your secret for for you know being edgy, being yourself and, and being somebody who could be a responsible corporate citizen
2: okay, so it, it's important to me to be myself because I'm not smart enough to be someone else. Uh, I, am not smart enough to carry two faces around with me and, 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 interchange them. And, and so many people must be smarter than me because they do this, right? You, you, you're in a, a room with some important CDP or whatever, and they're cussing like a sailor. And then all of a sudden, um, CEO walks around and, and they, they sound like a boy scout. <laughs> I, I'm not smart enough to do that. And so I'm going to say things that get me in trouble. And, and I do, you know, me and human resources, um, you know, we've met. <laughs> and, and so the point is to, to be, to me, it's a value proposition. My value has to be high enough to Microsoft and, and as it was to Google before to be able to overcome that. And, you know, the conversation can't be, hey, James, you said the F word eight times during a uh, uh, talk. Um, you're fired. The, this, this conversation is more like, hey, James, uh, we appreciate your colorful language. However, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, how it affects certain people. And, and so then it's never a, you're fired. So to me, it's, it's all value proposition. If you think about your pros and your cons, it's all a value proposition. I think if more people focused in on their value to their organization, they would understand a little bit more about how much of their personality they can, they can leak back and forth. You
0: know? Okay. Uh, any tips for being creative?
2: I teach a whole course on it. It's one of the... Oh, you do? Yeah, it's one of you the had, nine... You get a
0: course for, like, ev- everything that I need. <laughs>
2: everything everything that's important, right? That's, that's Yeah. I, why, why teach a course on something that's not important?
0: Right.
2: So, so creativity is one of the nine superpowers, and it, it was so... It was taking so much of the career superpowers course that I pulled it out on its own. And, in fact, I've been teaching it around uh, universities. It's been really popular, like a, the hackathons at Yale and Berkeley and... Um, all the ones I've been to this year, uh, that's what I opened it up with uh, on creativity. Because creativity is really important because everybody's smart and everybody's working hard and everybody's got a good degree and there's just no way to make yourself stand out except to be more creative than than everyone else. So creativity is really important. And so I actually go through all of the brain science I've been able to uncover on how to be more creative. And it turns out, creativity is a is not a inborn talent it's a lifestyle and if you live a creative lifestyle uh, then you are going to be more creative and so i teach you how to live that creative lifestyle but it takes me 60 minutes to do it
0: okay so should i be spending more time thinking because <laughs> because <I, laughs> before the show carl and i were talking and i'm like i think I think James, you know, he just, I think he probably just spends a lot of time just thinking.
2: Oh, I sure do. I mean, yeah. I i have my spots and I talk about how to identify your creative spots. Um, and, and I spend a lot of time there. Uh, I spend a lot of time with my technology turned off. I spend a lot of time seeking out, you know, mind expanding things. Like, did you know that satire and sarcasm, here's a little bit nugget for you make your more of your brain activate than any other type of, uh, of humor or um, uh, prose or or newsflash or feature list or bullet list or PowerPoint, satire and sarcasm. So I spend a lot of time sort of embracing and appreciating uh, the profundity in my life. And, and so I teach this in the class. I, I, I talk about, you know, some of the profound things I've said, like I was quoted saying, uh, Software is the opposable thumb for the human mind. And if you go through my Twitter feed, uh, you see a bunch of this. and I, You even see people tweeting to me, are you always this profound? And and the answer is yes, I am, because I've done it on purpose. I actively yeah. seek out profundity, and I absorb it, and I pick it apart, and I think about it. And, and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg does this. And, you know, if you look at all the companies that have you know, actively seeks out things like this, and boredom, too, Mark Zuckerberg actually seeks out boredom, and boredom has been scientifically proven to make your mind work uh, harder um, you know and, and look at Mark Zuckerberg the damage he's done to Google all the companies that have tried their best to kick Google's ass and along comes Mark Zuckerberg one of the most thoughtful uh, uh, contemplative CEOs I think that exists and all of a sudden he has him on the run there's no company there's no person that Google fears more than Facebook mm-hmm. and Mark Zuckerberg and and he's done it because he knows how to be creative he knows the, the power of silence and the power of boredom and the power of, uh, uh,
0: of, of mindfulness. I'm glad, I'm glad we asked you that question. Cause I, you know, I feel like I, I spend so much time like doing stuff and I never get enough time even, even afterward to be like, was that even worthwhile?
2: Nobody has ever gotten where they are for doing stuff. They get there, yeah. they get where they are for their insights. Satya Nadella, didn't get to be CEO of Microsoft because of his long list of accomplishments. He got to be CEO of Microsoft because he's insightful as hell. And, yeah. and all those accomplishments that you, that you line up under on, on such resume mostly come from, from his insights. And, and so, you know, he, to me, he's a perfect CEO of this company because um, he's so insightful and creative.
0: Very cool. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about?
2: Well you know I pretend to like questions to which I know the answer um, so, so if you'll have any easy ones you, you, can, you can throw at me. Um, you know I, I think that uh, I'd like you know pe- to point people at my uh, Twitter account at Doc James W challenge me on Absolutely. some of the things there uh, uh, check out what I'm doing and, and get involved. So I'm, I'm really interested in the neuroscience behind success and the neuroscience behind um, what it takes for, for people to, to have a great, job that they enjoy a lot and it's within reach and you know this is all learnable teachable stuff that's why i spend so much time doing it there's there's really no greater gift you could give to a fellow human than to teach them something so so that's kind of what i'm trying to do
0: are any of your classes public, um, so that people listening could potentially? Some of
2: them. I teach them all at Microsoft on an ongoing basis. So if you're a Microsoft employee or know someone who works at Microsoft, I allow guests and or live in the Seattle, oh, yeah, that's cool. Or live in the Seattle area, uh, stop by. Uh, the, the courses are all published on uh, your internal Whack Whack Learning Central. Search for my name, and they're all there. Um, and, and I do. I was teaching them at Better Software for a while externally, but my travel schedule got uh, uh, got too much. Customers will often. Uh, if you're a big customer, of Microsoft, I'm pretty much at your beck and call. Uh, <laughs> so talk to your account executive, and and I can figure out how to how to turn you on some of this cool shit.
0: Very cool. Okay, so we play this uh, this immature game <laughs> that's called uh, Would You Rather. So what I need you to do, I need you to pick a number between one and four. Four. Okay. Yeah, see, Carl, like, yep. You see how how he's different than everybody else? Yes. So, so we have this problem, James, and maybe you can provide some insight into this. We we have this issue where I, when I say between one and four, every single time, and I'm sure there's some outliers. There's very few outliers. Almost everybody picks two or three.
2: Yeah, I don't know why. See, I play Dungeons and Dragons, and if I have a four sided dice, I want a fucking four <laughs> when I roll it. It's, it's so easy to me, man. It's so easy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for a while, what I did as kind of a test, I said I tried a couple different approaches. I would say between zero and five, and nobody would ever pick zero or five. They'd pick somewhere, you know. Then I get people to say one or four, and then for a while I was saying between one and four inclusive, and that would get some people as well.
2: There's probably some brain science there somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Don't so, be wishy washy,
0: people. So I'm gonna think pick about a side. that. One. Yeah, pick a side. Don't just go in the middle. Okay, here we go. Would you rather be running as fast as you can and trip to land face first in a patch of grass, or be running half as fast before you trip and fall face first into a patch of gravel?
2: Oh, I'll take the grass. For one thing, I really, really like to run at top speed. Yeah, and so you know I, if if there's a cost to that, I'm willing to pay it.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, so we'll include a link to your your blog and your Twitter feed uh, in the show notes. If there's anything else, just email us and we'll make sure that we get it into the show notes. Otherwise, like you said, uh, people will check out your Twitter feed. What was the handle again?
2: At DocJamesW. Uh,
0: okay, perfect. Um, anything else you wanted to mention before we let you go?
2: Well, I'd just like to say that you two do not suck, sirs. This was fun.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Try to make it as easy as possible. So are we are we better than Skype? <laughs> You're better than Skype. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Okay. So thank you so much, James, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And anytime you want to come on and you have a new course or anything, we'd love to talk to you again.
2: All right. Sounds great. Count on it.